swing and a drive, deep to left center field, going, going, goodbye baseball! This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss, strike three, that's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle, oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. 25 games to go in this regular season. 25, and the Mariners have a wild card berth within their sights, within their reach. Now, what do you do to make sure that that becomes a reality? This is the closest the Mariners have come to making that a reality in the last couple decades. No hyperbole in saying that. Curtis Rogers with you here on Extra Innings here on Seattle Sports Station, the Mariners Radio Network. We're with you for the next two hours, a late one this evening. We're on from 9 to 11 here on Seattle Sports Station. Really appreciate you making us a part of your late night here as we talk some Mariners baseball over the course of the next two hours. Now, the Mariners on the fringes of contention, they have been able to build this over the last four seasons following the 2022 or following the 2018 season, I should say. And obviously there was a lot of, of questioning of, of the direction of the franchise. I mean, they had won close to 90 games that year had been in contention for most of the season. It all kind of fell apart over the season's final month. They were limping towards the finish line. Couldn't get over the hump. Couldn't get into the into the postseason. And a lot of people question whether or not the Mariners should have torn it down or, or should have kept trudging forward. Now, we all know what happened after the teardown. We are here in 2022, and the Mariners are very much in contention for the wild card. They are very much building towards something, not just in 2022, but beyond that. And we have seen many teams over the course of the last decade in baseball kind of chart a similar path that the Mariners took. Uh, most notably the Houston Astros in the American League West. They did that. They tore it down, uh, were able to build it back up with an incredible farm system, win the World Series in 2017 with a, an asterisk behind it, uh, You get back to another pair of World Series in 2019 and in 2021. And you look at the Cubs in 2016. They were able to, to do that. They were able to win a World Series in 2016 after tearing it down to the studs. And the Mariners in 2018 tore it down to the studs, built it back up. Here we are in 2022 on the verge of something that this city hasn't seen in a couple of decades, and that's playoff baseball. Now, there are a couple of paths teams can take in going this route. In fact, the Mariners have been able to look at two teams, a team they just had here in Seattle in the White Sox, and a team that they're going to see starting tomorrow in the Atlanta Braves, who have gone down similar roads in years past that have tried to mimic what the Cubs and the Astros have done and what the Mariners, I think, are are trying to do as well with differing results. And that, to me, helps explain how good of a job the Mariners have done this season in navigating these treacherous waters and navigating the unknown of a teardown because it can go one of two ways. It can go one of uh, many ways, actually. It's not just two ways. There are many outcomes that can come from this. And you look at what the White Sox did 
a couple of years ago in, in making the postseason for the first time in, in quite some time in 2020. But then they fired their manager, Rick Renneria, after a successful season and their first playoff berth ever. And Jerry Reinsdorf is a an owner that loves to meddle. He's an owner that loves to get in the way of things and, and throw his weight around. If you watch the Last Dance documentary on ESPN when he's the owner of the Chicago Bulls, he very much got in the way of, of all that of all the success that the Bulls had in order to kind of do things without you know a lot of people that he felt was getting credit for, and when he felt he should have gotten more credit. Um, you know, you look at the White Sox; they fire Rick Renneria after a successful season. They go and hire Tony Larusa. It felt like Reinsdorf didn't let his baseball people do do the baseball things, the things that they were hired for. He just stepped in and was like, I'm going to hire this guy who has not been a manager in baseball for a decade, who's 76 years old and can't really relate to these guys who are 23, 24, 25 that we're building our roster around. And you're seeing it play out this season where the White Sox have been one of the most disappointing teams in all of Major League Baseball, maybe the most disappointing team in Major League Baseball, as they're not even in second place in their division. In the in the weak American League Central, they're in third right now, behind Minnesota and behind Cleveland. It, it's not even close. But then on the other side, the team that the Mariners are going to face this weekend, the Atlanta Braves, they are fresh off a World Series victory, their first World Series pennant, since 1995, when they won it in a year that a lot of Mariners fans, uh, you know, seemed to press pause after the ALCS, and that's exactly where the season ended. And what do you mean the Braves won the World Series that year? I, I have no idea what that means uh, here in Seattle. 95 ended in the American League Championship Series, right? Uh, but no, the Braves, they set out on a very similar path that the White Sox did, that the Cubs did, that the Astros did, and they were able to turn it into a World Series championship a year ago. And not just that, but they were also able to lock down a lot of their young talent. They were able to develop superstar players in Ronald Acuna and Austin Riley. And now they're getting it, too, out of Michael Wright. Vaughn Grissom they've called up. They trade for Matt Olson. I mean, Max Freed in, in their bullpen or in their starting rotation. I mean, they just have dudes. Spencer Strider, the newest dude in that starting rotation for the Atlanta Braves. It, it's it's a, a wave after wave after wave that the Braves have have cultivated in their organization, and and they've gotten to where they are by securing their young talent, which I think the Mariners most recently have done a great job of in, in locking up Julio Rodriguez to that record-setting extension. And also, they've done a great job of sticking to their plan. Even after the departure of Freddie Freeman this past offseason, they made sure to go out and get a younger replacement for him in Matt Olson, who has done a very admirable job of taking over at first base. And by the way, they secured him to a long-term extension. I believe it was a seven- or eight-year contract extension around $160 million, I think it was. So the fact that the Braves have done it their way and have been able to secure a World Series championship when I don't necessarily know if they have totally, completely hit their stride as an organization speaks to their ability to get this thing going. It really speaks to the buy-in across the organization to what they are doing. Whereas the White Sox, they have had varying results. They made the playoffs a year ago, but they did not advance past the American League Championship Series. They trade for Craig Kimbrell. They trade for a lot of these guys that 
have, I would say, shorter windows of of success going forward than, say, the Mariners when they traded for Luis Castillo or when the Braves traded for Matt Olson. When those trades go down, it limits your ability to build a, a you know to build a contending ball club. The White Sox last year when they made those moves at the trade deadline, it was like, yeah, this is big, but. Are they limiting themselves and limiting their title contention window? Because right now it feels like they have taken a step back on their path to really taking over that American League Central. And oh, by the way, they had they had timed it out with Cleveland's demise when they traded Francisco Lindor and traded a bunch of other guys out of that organization, Corey Kluber. And now the White Sox are, are kind of floating around. How does this tie all back to the Mariners, the team that you are, are following day in and day out in this 22 season? Well, the Mariners can go one of two ways. They can go the path of the White Sox, which I think is the much more treacherous route. Or, and I, I think they are doing a really good job of this, is going the path of the Atlanta Braves, locking down your young talent for the foreseeable future. Now, Yes, there is an impact on the free agent market in years down the road when these guys aren't hitting free agency. They're already signing extensions. Maybe you're limiting the future earning potential of a couple of other big-name free agents. But if you're in the team-building business, obviously you want to lock down those guys. And it's not just Julio. There are other guys in this organization now that have shown that they are worthy of of committing to long-term. You look at Logan Gilbert, you look at George Kirby, you look at Cal Raleigh. Uh, there there are numerous names now that you look at and you're saying, like, man, these guys are going to be a core group that, that's going to be here for quite a number of years. And this Mariners team in 2022 has done a, an incredible job of sticking to their plan. When things did not go right early on in the season, there were people calling for the heads of Scott Service and Jerry Depoto. They were calling for change. I think if you dig up an old podcast of, of extra innings on SeattleSports.com, you won't hear me necessarily say that you know these guys need to be fired, X and Y need to be fired, but you will hear me say that, look, if things don't change, there's going to, there's going to need to be change. Where Wherever that change comes from you be the judge of that but right now the Mariners have stuck to their plan patience has been the shortcut they have followed through on what they said they were going to do in 2022 now there have been obviously some hiccups along the way Jesse Winker's performance looking at him right now uh, there have been other guys that have not lived up to the billing Adam Frazier too but you know what the roster around those guys has been able to pick them up. The emergence of Sam Haggerty, the emergence of Eugenio Suarez has really softened the blow of of those two guys not living up to uh, the big trades that landed both of them. But the Mariners sticking to their plan has paid off well here in 2022. But I'm excited to see what it can do, not just now, but maybe down the road in the future, in 23, in 24, and 25. Remember, the Braves last year winning the World Series, it wasn't supposed to happen. They had a record below 500 in the month of August. They caught fire down the stretch uh, over the season's final two months, made it into the playoffs, winning the American or winning the National League, and then beating the Houston Astros in six games in the World Series. It wasn't supposed to happen. And maybe we look back at this Mariners team in 2022. If we're looking back 
in November and December of this year, saying it wasn't supposed to happen. They weren't supposed to rebound from a 29-39 and 39 record in the month of June and when it looked like all hope was lost, when it looked like this rebuild was going to have to suffer another setback as the playoff drought was, was going to potentially grow to 21. And now, obviously, nothing is guaranteed. The playoff odds continue to be around 99%. They continue to hover around there, depending on how the Mariners do each day. But if you stick to the plan, it's it's shown to be very worthwhile. Don't get impatient like the White Sox have done and set yourself back a couple of years. Keep trudging forward on this path, and I think good things are going to lie ahead for the Mariners here in 2022 and beyond. Coming up next, Brandon Gustin of SeattleSports.com. He joins me for a weekly conversation, as he does all the time on Extra Innings. You don't want to miss that. That's coming your way next. Curtis Rogers with you for the next um, about two hours here. Uh, this is Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station, the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Joining me now on Extra Innings, a special late night edition. I managed to get this guy even two hours after he normally hops on with me. It's Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com. Brandon, really appreciate you joining me. How's it going? Oh yeah, doing great. Hopefully, uh, the late night airwaves uh, love what we're about to <laughs> love what we're about to dish out. Let's do it. Well, to be determined. We've still got about an hour and forty five to go, but I, I think we're going to give the people what they want here. Uh, the Mariners yesterday, though, with that, I, I feel like confusing is maybe the best way to describe how that game went. You've got a a team that got off to a four nothing lead. You had Luis Castillo striking out the first seven batters of the game. I mean. Eugenio Suarez hits two home runs in the game. That is a recipe for success nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, and yet yesterday they still managed to give up nine runs. I I find myself just baffled at how yesterday went. Yeah, I think the, the word I would use is, uh, is uncharacteristic, and uh, I think that when you kind of look at what these last few days have been like for this Mariners team where it, it all goes back to Sunday, right, the, the long rain delay, uh, they didn't get out of Cleveland until real late, and then they have the quick turnaround to Monday. This is almost kind of the game you would have expected them to play on Monday. Granted, Monday the bats were kind of asleep and everything else kind of was okay, but but yeah, yesterday was just, they're, they're such a good, sound defensive team, and you mentioned the nine runs they gave up, and I think it was six of those were unearned because of, I think, three or, uh, three errors overall, so just a, just a not normal game for this Mariners team, not what we've come to expect. Uh Especially like like you said, you get you get two long balls from Luis Castillo. You jump out to an early lead, um, and uh, it was just a, definitely a strange night for for those Mariners. Definitely was. It was a strange series as they dropped two of three to a White Sox team. But I think you know the White Sox they're still competing in that American League Central race. They haven't given up. They're a talented roster on paper. So I I, I guess I maybe I shouldn't be as surprised at the Mariners in dropping that series as I kind of am. But considering the role that they were on going into that series, winning six in a row, I mean maybe game one you kind of expected a letdown after that marathon day in Cleveland uh, to wrap up the, the six-game road trip. Uh, but I kind of expected them a little more in, in Game 3, especially to just kind of lay the hammer and put the White Sox out of their misery. 
Yeah, I, I think it's another thing, Curtis, where you kind of see how we, we've talked about it. The Mariners' brand of baseball this year has been pretty clear. It's been starting pitching, really good bullpen, and then they just play good sound defense. They don't run the outs on the bases. They come up with the timely hitting. When when one of those phases is just is just off and, and they don't have the the ability to kind of right the ship, I mean, it, it's going to be tough, especially against the White Sox team that, like you said, they're still, they're still in it. They've kind of got some new life over these last two weeks uh, in that AL Central race. They're still trying really hard to claw back into that race, and the Mariners definitely did them a favor, not just with dropping two of three to them, but they beat up on, on Cleveland for six out of seven games. I mean, that definitely has given the White Sox a little bit of a jolt here. So uh, that when you're giving good teams and, and good teams with, uh, with, with good offenses, a dangerous roster like the White Sox have, when you give them that many extra opportunities, not just with the errors, but they didn't turn the double play and with Jose Abreu running to first base and the next batter comes out after the challenge and it's home run on the first pitch, right? When you're not able to, to get those exact moments the way that they need to go and the way that they've gone for this Mariners team and you're facing a, a good team, a hungry team like the White Sox are, a lot of times that's what's going to happen. So it uh, could just be something kind of the, the, you know, the after effect of fatigue. Like we mentioned, that Sunday game was just an absolute marathon. <laughs> I don't think anybody was really expecting the day to go like that. But uh, definitely something where hopefully this is, you know, it could be a little bit of a wake-up call or just a realization like, hey, we – we can't be we can't be taking those kind of moments off. I can tell you who was not expecting the the game to go that long. That'll be post game host Mike Lefko that day, and also uh, <laughs> studio coordinator yeah. Matt Nelson. Because boy, uh, seeing the text messages from those guys on Sunday, a day in which I was normally scheduled to do it, I had to, uh, prior commitments. I, I felt bad for those two guys, but boy, that game was uh, that was a. a, a test for everybody involved not just the players let let me yeah let me tell you curtis i i teed off uh, i i played some golf on sunday was able to get through 13 14 holes we teed off at 345 a little bit before they ended up getting back into into the swing of things played all of that went went back home (laughs) did fantasy football draft and the game was still going on (laughs) it was it was a very very weird ridiculous day for the mariners but uh Obviously, they were happy to go out of that with a sweep and a win, so it can't be can't be too bad. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, Brandon Cal Raleigh getting a lot of praise as of late, and deservedly so. He's been on a bit of a tear with the home runs over the last couple of weeks. He's up to twenty three now. Jerry Depoto heaped a lot of praise on him today during the Jerry Depoto show with Brock and Salk. Uh, you wrote up a little bit about what Depoto had to say about Cal Raleigh. But, Brandon, when you look at, at Raleigh and his importance to the 2022 Mariners, I, I mean, obviously Julio has stolen the show this year. It, you know, Who knows where the Mariners would be without him? But where would the Mariners be without the production they've gotten from Cal Raleigh? Because you look at, at the other catching options, Tom Murphy out for the year with an injury, and Luis Torrens, who gave you next to nothing offensively. I mean, what Raleigh has done this season, I mean, boy, I, I hate to think where the Mariners would be without him. Yeah, and it, and it goes just beyond the, the offensive production because he, when when you talk about Cal Raleigh with, with people within the Mariners, I mean, one of the first things that comes up is just how good of a job he does behind the plate and you're handling that pitching staff. And like you said, there, there's not a lot of options behind him. They had to go out and make a trade to get a better option behind him because of what well, you mentioned. Luis Torrens just really wasn't giving the Mariners much behind the plate or at it. Uh, and, and what makes Cal Raleigh's season so interesting, Curtis, is that if you go and look at it, the very beginning, he started opening day, 
and then it just was downhill from there. He, there was next to no production. He was striking out a lot. He wasn't really giving them much at the plate to the point where he was sent down at the end of April and he was hitting under 100. And he got called back up about a week and a half later. But that wasn't because of anything that he did in, in Tacoma. That was because Tom Murphy got hurt and ended up being out for the season. They, they needed Cal Raleigh to come up. And I think that him getting hot is just a testament to him kind of making those adjustments. You hear a lot about him kind of shortening his swing. I think he's doing a lot better job of staying within the strike zone. He's not chasing down as much as he used to down out of the plate. I think that's been really big for him. But his production also came kind of during a time where for, for a little bit there, the Mariners overall as a team were just really lackluster at the plate. They were still without Mitch Hanniger. Uh, you had Ty France going through some issues at times and some injuries. Julio was banged up a few times as well. Uh, you had some other key contributors. Jesse Winker uh, hasn't lived up to the expectations. Eugenio Suarez has been heating up of late, but he's a fairly streaky hitter too. And uh, Cal, Cal Raleigh kind of has his moments here and there where he'll start to scuffle. He'll start to swing and miss a little bit more. But overall, I mean, you look back and it really, since it was kind of, I think it was May 15th, since then he's hit 22 of his 23 home runs. He now leads all of baseball in terms of catcher home runs. It's It's been an incredible, incredible kind of addition to this ball club that I don't think they were quite expecting when the, when the season started. But you're looking at Cal Raleigh. He's probably one of the, the five or six best two-way catchers in baseball at, at this point of the year, and that's pretty remarkable. Something you always would take out of a young player like that is somebody who has risen to that kind of ranking amongst his position in Major League Baseball this early in his career. Cal Raleigh doing just that here in the 2022 season. Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com joining us here on Extra Innings. And Brandon, a huge series this weekend facing the Atlanta Braves, the defending World Series champion. I uh, kind of talked about in the open how the Braves are, are kind of the blueprint right now for teams that have either gone through a rebuild or going through a rebuild. When you look at what Atlanta has done uh, over the last five or six years or so, do you think it, the Mariners are capable of pulling something off like that? I mean, just the amount of young talent that fills out their roster and also young talent that they have been able to secure for, for this foreseeable future. Uh, I mean, that kind of right now is sort of the gold standard amongst rebuilds. I mean, obviously the Astros are doing their thing for sure, uh, but Atlanta looks like they've got something rolling right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that when you kind of look at the National League and, and how rosters are constructed, I think that the Braves are right up there with the Dodgers just in terms of kind of that that homegrown talent and just continually being able to churn out high-level talent because you're talking about a team that – they got hot that won the World Series last year, and they, they look like a better team this year. And they, they have young guys contributing. They have two guys that will probably finish top two in the NL Rookie of the Year voting in Spencer Strider, what their starting pitcher, and Michael Harris, the young outfielder. They're, they're two of the most exciting young players in baseball up there with Julio Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman. And it's, a, it's definitely a testament to just that organization, top-down structure. I think that they do a really good job overall of just developing talent and I think something that you see with them is they, they tend to bring guys up at the right time, and they, those guys kind of hit the ground running. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think the Mariners definitely have, an, uh, have the ability to do that, and I think that this year in particular and kind of last year, you're starting to see some of those homegrown-type guys or the guys that the Mariners acquired at really young ages kind of start to, to come into their own. Obviously, Julio and Cal Raleigh, who we just talked about, but it, while they're not necessarily homegrown just because of where they came from, I mean, the Mariners have done a, a really good job in, in terms of identifying and developing guys like J.P. Crawford and Ty France, who are younger guys too. So the Mariners definitely have the makings to be a team like Atlanta where 
they can just kind of keep churning out some talent. They've done a pretty good job drafting and developing and, and getting guys up and whatnot. And I, I think that they're a team that we're kind of, you know, at least the goal is for this year to be the, the first of many years of playoff contention, potential World Series contention. And that's kind of what you're seeing with the Braves, too. They're, they they were able to get the ring last year, and I, I think that they're kind of in the early stages of something that could be a, a perennial powerhouse-type team, kind of like what you mentioned with with the Astros, who who did it a few years ago as well. Just got to say, how dare other teams try to be good when the Mariners are trying to be good? The unmitigated <laughs> gall of, of other organizations yeah. to try and win a World Series. He is Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com. Read his work at SeattleSports.com. Follow him on Twitter at the B Gustafson. I can't tell you enough how, how, how important it is you do that. Go right now and do it on Twitter. Brandon, really appreciate you stopping by, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Uh, I think we've got at least one show. Who knows? Yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah, definitely looking forward to see Raj. Just twenty five games to go. So, what does Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto make of his team's pursuit for that elusive playoff appearance that has evaded the Mariners franchise for over two decades? Well, he joined our Brock and Salk earlier today for a conversation, as he does every Thursday. We'll take a listen to that coming up next here on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Curtis Rogers with you until 11 o'clock here on Extra Innings this this night. I usually say this evening, but it is nighttime here on Seattle Sports Station. Jerry DePoto, as he does every single Thursday morning at 7.30, he visits with Brock and Salk and gives an update on where the franchise is, and we're 25 games out from potentially seeing playoff baseball in Seattle. So what does he make of his team's pursuit for that elusive playoff spot? Well, here is his conversation from earlier today on Seattle Sports Station. In 14 years of doing media, these Mariners are real, Jerry. They're real, they're real, they're real. The roster is real. And I lived here in the 90s. I grew up in Washington. I remember what it was like in the 90s, the early 2000s. And so I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I mean, after pedaling some some hard miles for some years, I'm going to get back on and enjoy this ride that your ball club and your organization has been on this season. Been a blast. That's a much better story to me than football season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, do you guys ever think about a formula for winning of sort of what you need to do in any given game to win? Uh, I mean, I, I guess that's part of what we do at the beginning of every season is we just talk about the different elements of the game. And and I, I can't say that there's a formula to it, but sticking to the standards and, and executing fundamentally. Uh, I think yesterday is a great example of, of maybe the first time in a while that we just haven't done it, you know, where we've played an uncharacteristically sloppy game. Our formula is just to do the little things, and, and we've done those things consistently well all season. How do you guys measure defense? Because there's a lot of debate, and certainly that you can go deep into the analytics world with range and ground covered, and, and errors seems to be kind of like batting average, a thing of the 1950s because, well, different players have different range, and they're called differently in every ballpark. How do you guys internally measure defense? I, the the simplest way and the way that we find most valuable is how good at you are converting at converting balls in play into outs. Simple as that. And 
you know, we are very efficient in doing that. And you can look through the lens of, of standard old school fielding percentage. You know, there were very good, uh, not making errors. were generally very good. We have been, you know, one of the most successful teams in employing shifts and converting balls in play into outs. And, you know, and really in outs above average and in, in range factor, more modern, you know, statistics, we were pretty good there too. You know, we're not top of class in, in those areas, but we're pretty good. And, you know, we are quite good at converting the balls in play into outs, which I think is the most important. Jerry, I feel like we'd like to help in some way, and there's only so many ways in which we can help the cause. But listening to some of the national media, which is sort of the same as the North New York media, but whatever, listening to them talk about how the the Baltimore Orioles run this year is likely going to lead to another manager of the year coming from the AL East. It just is there anything we can do here on this show, on this station, et cetera, to get Scott the press he needs to be the manager of the year? I mean, fair or unfair, I, I think he should be the favorite. And um, we all believe, and and no disrespect at all to Kevin Cash, who does a great job. Uh, we all believe that Scott was was that guy last year, and and I think he's showing it again. And and that's very similar to where you know the the raise Kevin Cash was in the previous two years. You know, done, done a great job taking the team team from you know young and fledgling to a, a championship level contender and and i think that's what you're watching happen with scott and talking about these things you know efficiency and and the 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 way this team generally and consistently hits on on doing the small things well i think that's really representative of a good manager in the dugout and good programs and a good coaching staff and you know it's a that's i think what this team's about so the more you know we stress or, or illustrate those things the more uh, kindly it shines upon scott as a manager jerry years ago there was an old crusty veteran on your roster and I think it was Scott's first year uh, going into being a manager. And I remember asking this and being all excited. And we were down there for spring training and doing our shows right, right outside the, right outside the facility and having a blast. And I remember asking this crusty old vet, Hey man, tell me about all these meetings. This is great. And it's just right up my alley. I just love all this psychology and stuff. And he turned to me and said, let's see if he can manage a bullpen. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. That kind of killed my bit of excitement, but Okay. I mean, in years later, and this year is no different than a season ago, the way that he and the staff and you and everybody, right? I think it's a cumulative effort, but the way that bullpen is managed, doesn't that have to be near the top of the list of managerial achievement? I, you know, our bullpen management is maybe the best thing that we do. And I think it's, it too is something the, the manager in the dugout is the one who is pulling the lever on who's coming in next. And, and those pitchers have to execute. And our bullpen for two consecutive years now has been filled with, with pitchers who have executed and, you know, but the, the, the magic sauce there is just being prepared. And, and that's where I think Scott separates himself is, you know, he is always prepared and nothing takes him by surprise. The, the decisions are consistent to the point where I think now most of our fan base can probably, you know, with 
some degree of accuracy determine who's coming in next because it's it's been that consistent and and when the guys are clicking and you know who's hitting you you can predict who should come next based on where you are in the lineup and and we've done it without having your standard you know 40 save closer or just a simple three-man tandem who are hitting on innings seven eight and nine it's a mix and a match and and it's something that happens at two o'clock in the afternoon not at nine o'clock at night. Yeah, I just generally predict it's going to be the guy with the mid to high 90s fastball and the devastating slider. It's one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> There's only six of them. So I figure I've got a pretty decent chance of being right. Um, hey, he's obviously been a big part of the story, certainly for the last week, but really over the last few months, Cal Raleigh. We've talked a little bit about what happened when he went down to the minors this year, but can you take me back a little bit? What was What was his development like? You know, what you're watching is Cal, the, the, what you see right now. Take a walk, hit the ball out of the ballpark, really manage a game well, stick with your pitchers, and he's a good receiver. And and right now, I think he's among the best throwing catchers in the league. And and that's something of a, of a really refreshing development. He's always been good at it, and right now he's elite in that area. But th- this is not a surprise to us. This is This is kind of who Cal has been since he entered our system and it's uh he was very advanced when he stepped on the field uh out of florida state and he's done nothing but continue to get better and you know through his development if you look at his track record he's he has always been the slugging catcher we've always and i think you've heard me talk about this for for years now his his leadership behind the plate his attentiveness to a game plan I think that right now his awareness of the lineup that we are managing against in a given game is as good as any veteran catcher in the league. And, and he's doing it with just over a year of service in the big leagues, which I think is a testament to, to how well Cal knows the game. Jerry, if you were Jerry DePoto here uh, with us, if you were to do a deep dive, and, and excuse me for, for going a little nerdy here, um, but I, I've got Wisconsin this weekend. Scott Service will love that. The Badgers in the Washington State. And Wisconsin is known as a developmental program. They have to be. They take two- and three-star frames, and then they develop them into NFL guys. That's just what they do, as well as anybody maybe not named Iowa or right there with Iowa in, in that part of the country. When you look at Cal Raleigh and you look at the clay of what he was at Florida State, and Benetti was on with us earlier this week, Jason Benetti, and said, oh, I saw him in college, knew he'd be good. I don't know if he could develop into this. What are some of the raw goods that you have to have? Some of the raw tools is a slugging catcher that you just say, either you got these and we can develop them or they're just not there and it will never develop. I first and foremost, baseball IQ. And, and that's where Cal separates himself immediately. Uh, and you, when, when you sit down and watch Cal, when you meet him, when you talk to him, it's not hard to, to, I guess, run it back to this. He was raised by a baseball coach. <laughs> and, you know, Cal's dad's a coach. You, you can see it in the way Cal approaches the game. He's always had an old school way about him that, that really is, is inviting to teammates. And, and you know, no player, <clears throat> no, excuse me, no player in college is going to look exactly like, you know, they, they will turn out to be in the big leagues. But there's – Cal can move the bat. He has – you know, it's not your natural field-to-hit-to-all-fields type. It's more, you know, pull approach. But what you're seeing this year, and, and maybe the biggest development for Cal, has been his strike zone management. 
And, you know, it's something he did relatively well in the minor leagues, but he's still going to run a strikeout rate like he will now. And, you know, what got him when he first came to the big leagues was chase. He was just chasing in, in too many different zones to be able to maximize his, his offensive skill set. And right now, he calmed himself. He got himself in a good place like, like he would have been in Modesto or, or in Arkansas. And he's just calm in the box. He manages the strike zone. He's a much better two-strike hitter. And the way he's handling strike-breaking balls now, like you saw with his latest home run, it's that strike-breaking ball, which used to be a little bit of a, of, of a kryptonite, can now just it's he's on it and he's hitting it out of the ballpark. He's not just hitting it. You can download the full Jerry Depoto show at seattlesports.com or you can subscribe to the Jerry Depoto show, a separate podcast feed unto itself uh, at seattlesports.com or on the Seattle Sports app. You can wherever it is you get your podcast, you can find it there. You can also find extra innings wherever it is you get your podcasts as well. When we return on extra innings, the aforementioned extra innings, Bump and Stacy. They were looking at Scott Service's resume for the 2022 Manager of the Year Award in in the American League, and they were wondering if he is deserving of it this go-around after he was snubbed a year ago. We look at that conversation coming your way next year on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station, the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings Inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Really excited for our next guest in about 15 minutes from now, Justin Toscano of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He will join me to give a preview of this Braves team, a team that won the World Series last year, and they are in the thick of contention in the National League this year. And they've also got a nice young collection of, of talent, guys who I think the Mariners have kind of modeled themselves after uh, through over the course of the last couple of years. So we will get Justin's thoughts on all of that. That's coming your way to start Hour 2 here on Extra Innings. But last year, Scott Service finished second in American League Manager of the Year voting a 91 season that ultimately did fall short of a postseason berth. But right now, the Mariners are in the thick of it. They are in the thick of the American League wildcard race. And as we know, if the season were to end today, they would be playing postseason baseball, which is an obvious improvement over what they finished a year ago. And they're also on pace to finish with their first back-to-back winning season since 2002-2003. They are on pace to exceed their win total from a year ago. And they have done it in missing Mitch Hanniger for a significant portion of the season. They've missed Ty France for a significant portion of the season. They have missed Julio Rodriguez for a significant portion of the season. And I guess when I say significant, I qualify that as at least a couple weeks' worth of time. Uh, Obviously, Julio with the wrist injury coming out of the All-Star break. Ty France, he suffered that wrist injury against Oakland, and then Mitch Hanniger dealing with the ankle injury, uh, You know, just being out of the lineup for as long as he was. I think he missed close to 90 games this year, but... Those guys are back, and through all those injuries, the Mariners have still managed to put up the third-best record in the American League. They have been very much at the forefront of the conversation in terms of best teams in the American League since about June, since that 29-39 and start where they kicked it into high gear and ever since then have, have been just incredible over the last couple months of play. So I, that 
would probably put Scott Service back in the conversation for American League Manager of the Year. And I think there are a lot of people that would consider him to be the favorite at this point. Well, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic and Fox Sports, on his podcast this week, he shared why he thinks that may not be the case this year. In fact, maybe Brandon Hyde of the Baltimore Orioles is somebody that could get that nod over Scott Service. Bump and Stacy, while taking a close listen to what Ken Rosenthal had to say about the matter, weighed in with their thoughts on what Rosenthal had to say. Only five teams since 1900 have lost 110 games one year and then won at least 70 the next. Now, of those five teams, none of them ever won more than 73, coming off 110 losses. The Orioles are on pace entering Sunday's play for 87 wins, they would win by far the most of any of these teams. So whether they make the playoffs or not, to me, it's got to be high. Now, there is a strong case for Scott Service in Seattle about the Mariners' proficiency in one-run games, not only this season under Service, but ever since he took over in 2016. He clearly is doing something right. But where the Orioles have come and how far they have come this season, I just don't know that you can deny Hyde. I do. <laughs> I know that you can deny Hyde because on, it man. seems like the argument Come being on. made and the credit to Brent Stecker of uh, SeattleSports.com and editor for Seattle Sports for mentioning it. The argument, the same argument being used to deny Scott Service last year, being used to boost Hyde this year. I got 21 years. 21 years has been and where we have a 99% chance to make the playoffs, that alone should be enough. And the way the team has performed, 14-game win streak, I think it's the second-longest win streak in the majors this league. I understand that the Orioles were sellers at the trade deadline, and now they're doing some things that haven't been done in a long time. They're going to win more than 73 games, first team to do that after losing over 100 last year. But come on, man. Like How, how much more will the Mariners just be swept under the rug? I get we're in the Northwest, we're tucked away, but what they're doing this year is special. 21 years since this team has made the playoffs, Service has some responsibility for that. Give the man his flowers now, please. Now, Curtis, it would instead, ste- it would instead seem that rather than uh, an AL West manager deserving of this award being mentioned, you've got a team in the AL East. Oh! <laughs> the... East, you say? <laughs> That's right. That's that right. makes me think of four words. Yeah. On the top of my mind right now, classic East Coast bias, Baltimore. I could use a little less of them. That's what I'm saying. When the Mariners were rattling off 14 straight, you know who the darlings were of the national baseball media? It was the precious little Orioles. Oh, these little these little tiny birds. They won like 10 of 11. And by the way, the Mariners had beaten them head to head during that long stretch too in, in all of that. It makes zero sense why the logic that was used against Scott Service last year is being used for Brandon Hyde this year as American League Manager of the Year. And I get that Ken Rosenthal has a lot of sway in all this, but you know what his bias is? This guy used to cover the Baltimore Orioles. Mm. He used to be their beat writer Mm. in Baltimore, in Maryland, covering that team day after day after day. You think there's not some bias there? There absolutely is. It's in front of our (laughs) eyes, sheeple, wake up! (laughs) 
<laughs> well said, Curtis. Absolutely yep. well said. Because you're right. I mean, it's it's unfair for Scott. And I know anyone would say in sports, like crying about it being unfair. But it is unfair for the exact same argument to deny Scott service to be used for Brandon Hyde. You're telling me that if the Mariners were an AL East team, it wouldn't be clearly Scott service? I, I mean, Rogers just laid it all out for Considering the turnaround, <laughs> 29 and 39 at one point. Now the Mariners are 76 and 59. They're 47 and 20 over their last 67 games. Talk but, to him. But Brandon Hyde, Curtis. Oh, yeah. Talk to him, Curtis. Curtis, you've never had a team. Don't forget that that Brandon Hyde, you know, last year the, the Orioles lost, what, 100 games? Uh, maybe even a million? I mean, th- this is a guy that's God. managed to turn it around. I, so do you think their turnaround them. has a lot to do with adding Adley Rutschman to their roster? Like, I think that has a lot more to do with how good they've been this year than Brandon Hyde has been. I mean, Hyde was the manager last year when they were really terrible. Now, fun fact, what if someone said, well, what what about AL Rookie of the Year favorite Julio being the reason the Mariners are where they, where they are? Well, I mean, the Mariners also have a really good roster around them, but Scott Service has been pressing the right buttons in the bullpen. He's yeah. been pressing the right buttons with the starting rotation. He's been putting these lineups together, especially at points of the year with no Mitch Haniger, no Ty France, no Julio, the aforementioned rookie of the year favorite. I mean, those are your three best bats and they have all missed significant time yep. this season. Like that's got to mean something in the eyes of these voters. But unfortunately those eyes are closed because the Mariners play games at 10 PM Eastern time. Bam. No, that's exactly what it is. Curtis, that is exactly oh, what it is. I know we always joke about East coast, but well, actually you aren't joking about East coast bias. It's in front of our eyes. Sheeple, like you say, but wake up, wake up, but you're, you're exactly right. That is a big part of it. I mean, there is nothing Scott service can do because not as many people are actually paying attention. Everyone was watching the AL East earlier this year. Everyone's already watching the AL at least all the time because the Red Sox and Yankees, of course, the Rays. But then you had the Orioles who surprised a lot of people. The Orioles may very well finish uh, well out of the playoffs. Uh, That being said, people are still going to be looking at the Mariners who are set to break a 20 year drought and overlook Scott Service for a team that's not going to make the playoffs. Come on, man. No visibility to the East Coast means no credibility. All they're going to do is look at data and then form their opinions. Like, if they were invested in West Coast teams like they were East Coast teams, they would see that something special was happening in Seattle. That you have a star in Julio Rodriguez. You have a great rotation. You have the best bullpen in the league. Service has done a great job managing this roster with guys being out, with guys being hurt, shuffling, bringing guys up, bringing them back down. I mean, he's done a great job with this roster. This team is special. You know what it is. Curtis already said it. East Coast. Absolutely. Classic. No, that really is what it is. It's infuriating. I am I am convinced, convinced that if it was the Baltimore Mariners with the same kind of history, Scott Service would be everywhere. Everyone would be talking about the Mariners. Now, I don't blame the rest of MLB for overlooking the Mariners. When you don't make the playoffs for 20 years, you fall into irrelevance. It's what happens. Yeah. I, I don't know how to tell you this, but don't be mad if people aren't talking about you. However, how do you as baseball experts, as people who vote on this award, overlook what Scott Service and what Seattle's doing? If you don't make the playoffs for 20 years, you should be the focus of the league right now. You should be one of the stories. You should bring up MLB.com and the Mariners should be somewhere on the little topics of news on the right side saying, hey, Mariners are about to do something that hasn't been done in a while. There should be an article talking about how there are kids who went their whole childhood not seeing the Mariners do what they're Us. doing this year. Us. I'm like, come <laughs> on, man. Who are grown adults. It's, it's I literally have never been to a playoff game in my life. Ever. 
It's disrespectful. But, you know, hey, but you know what? Embrace the disrespect then. Let's go. Let's be the underdogs. Let's get into the playoffs. Let's shake some things up now, and make them pay attention. I don't attention. mind embracing the disrespect, but I would like for Scott Service to get his roses. I would I like for you. him to get I some recognition you. for last year helping lead this team to 90 wins when they were expected to get 90 losses. And not only that, but doing it again the following year, despite not having Mitch Hanniger for much of the season. Mitch Hanniger was your home run leader last year. You He played all but nine games for you before coming back or excuse me he played nine games for you before actually coming back like you managed to get through a season and first of all if we want to you can make the same case for Adley Rutschman but if we want to talk about Julio as AL rookie of the year don't you think a manager has a hand in the development of a young team even if it's being smart enough to step back and let that team figure out who they want to be I think Scott Service you know he's not going to say this about himself. I think he has a good measure of how to let a young team find their own identity. A bad manager steps in in the wrong times. Service has been able to step back. Hey, make sure you're downloading the Bump and Stacy podcast. Make sure you're downloading the Extra Innings podcast at seattlesports.com and also on the Seattle Sports app, wherever it is you get your podcast. we're there for you. Friday, September 9th, against these Atlanta Braves that you're going to be seeing tomorrow night at T-Mobile Park. It is Earth, Wind, and Fireworks Night presented by T-Mobile. Enjoy a late summer fireworks spectacular after the game against Atlanta concludes. All of the music for the fireworks show will be in popular or will be in honor of the popular band Earth, Wind, and Fire. That will take place immediately following the final out of Friday night's game between your Mariners and the Braves. When we return on Extra Innings, we will get a preview of what this Braves team is like, what to expect over the weekend. Justin Toscano, he covers the Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He'll dial in next. This is Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network.